Welcome to the Boss Lady in Sweatpants Show. I'm your host, Allison Scholes, and I'm on a mission to help female entrepreneurs like you ditch the overwhelm and comparison and teach you how to create less but better content with ease and build an extraordinary brand and business, but do it in a way that is aligned with your soul and makes you crazy happy with your life. This show is filled with faith-led episodes about content creation, social media marketing, and business growth with a side of coffee and Jesus. If you're ready for some juicy content, then it's time to hand your kiddos those tablets, grab your coffee, whiskey, or wine, and let's dive in. Hello, my friend, and welcome back to the show. How would you like to expand your income with online courses? Today, I have Melissa Guller on the show, who is a course creation expert and the founder of Wit & Wire. She previously worked full-time for Teachable, which is a well-known online course platform. Today, we're going to get into the types of courses that are profitable, the mistakes creators make, because we know that we make them, the tools you need, and what's different about course building this year. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for you to be here. And when I read your application to be on the show, I noticed that you were worked for Teachable and I actually used Teachable, I think a couple of years ago. So tell us about your experience with Teachable. I, I loved working there. I will say, I think I have a unique lens in the course creation industry because I've worked behind the scenes for a software company and some pretty big name course creators before I started my own business. So I was at Teachable for nearly four years. Wow. I started when they were only 35 people. I had the pleasure of building out Teachable U, their own curriculum for course creators. I ended up as the director of marketing engagement and my team ran all the major summits, the email marketing campaigns that went out. And before that, I actually worked for a man named Ramit Sethi, who is an eight-figure course creator and a well-known New York Times bestseller. So I think those lenses being behind the scenes for a big name course creator, then for the software where I got to talk with a lot of course creators, see data from a lot of course creators, it all just informed the business that I now have, both in how I run Wit & Wire, selling my own online courses, and then teaching those exact strategies to my audience as well. So what made you decide to leave those two companies? Because it sounds really exciting. Was it the audience? Did you want to maybe help like the smaller entrepreneur? Why did you leave? It was so bittersweet. Teachable was a dream job for me, honestly. I loved working with other smart, talented, creative peers, and I loved being able to make an impact on that kind of scale. But as specifically, I started to pitch and host Teachable's podcast. I had the definite honor of talking with all these diverse creators and they were all doing so many incredible things. You can't help but feel inspired to think, wow, like I also feel this pull towards entrepreneurship, towards starting my own thing. And now as a solopreneur, definitely with support, but you know, as a solo business owner, I feel like I have a closer relationship with the business owners that I get to work with. So it's just a different type of skill set that I get to use. And I also love to teach. I was teaching on the side at General Assembly, doing in-person workshops before the pandemic. And I think that that itch to also be able to teach and to have an impact in that more direct way was ultimately the main reason why I decided to go out on my own. 
And then frankly, I wanted the freedom, the flexibility that comes with running your own business. And so much as I loved Teachable and it was bittersweet to leave, I definitely know it was the right choice just based on the kind of lifestyle I was trying to build for myself. And I think that's why all of us entrepreneurs end up starting in that journey is because we do want to create that life or that lifestyle that we want. And we want to do what we want for our businesses. And when we're doing that, we are inundated with so many different ideas. And one of those ideas is you got to create a course, right? You got to, you know, just sell it and create, you know, residual income. Easier said than done because I've been there. So I want to ask you a question. What types of course ideas are profitable? Like, let's go through the different ideas and how someone should get started with creating a course. Well, to me, I think the biggest mistake I see when courses don't sell is that people assume it's the marketing that went wrong. And I'm sure this is a theme we might continue to hit on throughout this episode. But when it comes to finding a truly profitable idea, there's this principle from direct response copywriting. It's called the 40-40-20 rule. And that that principle talks about what is involved in a buyer's decision. So 40% of their decision is, do they want the offer? 40% is, are they in the right audience? And it's only that last 20% that is all of the creative, the copywriting, the design. And so for friends who aren't that into math, I'll do the math for us. That just means 80% of their decision is, are you selling the right thing to the right buyer? And so ultimately, when you're thinking of your profitable course idea, you have to figure out not just what are your skills, what are your passions? Those are important. That's like one piece of a Venn diagram. But you also need that overlapping circle from your audience of what is an existing desire that they already have and how can you position your course as a solution to help them solve that existing problem. So ultimately, that all makes selling easier because now you're not forcing people to buy. Instead, you've identified a need and then you said, hey, I think I have a product that can help you get there. So let's go to identifying that need. How can an entrepreneur get started to do that? Like I already have ideas coming to my head of how I would identify that need. But for someone who's listening that may think, oh, I don't have that big of an audience. Like how do I figure out what that need is? Because they have the skills, they got the ideas, but how do they kind of bundle it, bundle it all up and make it pretty for their ideal audience? In my own program, Course Builders, I talk about this concept called the profitable course formula. And there are three pieces to any profitable course idea. So the first one is the audience. And I'm guessing a lot of people tuning in have at least a sense of the general audience you talk to or that you hope to talk to. And that's part one. But then the other two pieces are the actionable strategy you teach and the existing desire that your buyer has. So here's the difference. Let's say somebody wants to earn money online that's a desire or increase income. That's a desire. And you can usually tell it's a desire because there's some level of increasing or decreasing. People want to decrease their anxiety. They want to increase their income. So there's often that kind of up or down sensation with the desire. And there's this gap between where your buyer is today and where they want to be. But if somebody wanted to earn more money, they could find a new job, They could start an Etsy store. They could do Amazon dropshipping, which I know nothing about. They could create and sell online courses. There are so many different actionable strategies you could use to reach that desired goal. So that's why it's so important to pair the two. 
You need an actionable strategy that helps your specific audience member reach their existing desire. And when you piece those three together, that's when you'll really have the makings of a profitable course idea. And I know you touched a little bit on marketing and this question just kind of came up in my head when we were talking about, you know, the tips and strategies that the audience needs, but we also need to hit their desire. And I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but do you find that that might be one of the mistakes that people make in their marketing is they talk too much about the actual course and everything in the course and they don't focus on the outcome or the desire that the customer will receive. That's definitely one. And we'll put a little, uh, a seed of, you know, what's coming up. We'll talk more about marketing because there is a big mistake that I see that I know you're going to ask me about since it comes up all the time. But the the desire to like tell people about all the exciting features, like I have a thousand hours of videos. In reality, who wants that? Like people don't really (laughs) want to watch videos. They want to have outcomes. So absolutely. I think that's an area where people go wrong. But even just sitting down to do the work of asking yourself, how is it that the strategy I teach helps somebody reach that existing desire? Just by identifying that, you're already going to put yourself far ahead of a lot of courses. Because a lot of courses just give people skills or knowledge, but they don't help you make a change. And ultimately, people buy courses because they want to make a change. So when it comes to courses, I know you said the type of course ideas, are there certain types of courses that have worked well over time compared to others? I think the word type could mean a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Is there an industry that I think can work or cannot work? No, I definitely think, especially after seeing all the data from different teachable customers across across different industries, there are profitable course ideas, I believe, in pretty much any industry where people are seeking help. So I don't think that's a huge concern. Then I think the other type that we could get into is almost the the format of the course. Mm. People talk about things like mini courses. They talk about signature courses. They, They use lots of different words that effectively describe how big the course is. I've seen strategies work where some business owners sell fairly inexpensive courses and a lot of them, and that's the way that they make money. But I will say for most business owners, you can have some, I'm going to call them under $100 courses, more of an intro offer. But for most of us, especially if you don't have a huge audience, the way to maximize your revenue is usually by selling what I often call a signature course. This is something that most likely takes a buyer one to three months to complete because it's going to offer them a meaningful enough transformation that they can't just sit down and do it in one sitting. And if you can help people reach that kind of meaningful outcome, then they're going to tell more people about it. You're going to put in the work to actually make the course a great experience. And so rather than thinking that the way to earn a lot of money is to create a lot of small courses, what I've seen through my own business, my own students, through countless teachable creators, what typically works better is to have one or just a few curated signature courses because creating the course is often the hard part. Once you have a course that converts, it's just a matter of driving more traffic to that offer. So I would summarize what type of course do I recommend by saying I recommend focusing on a signature course, becoming known for it, and then increasing revenue by driving more traffic to that proven offer. That's really interesting because I hear like so many different coaches out there that will say you need this massive suite of like course products underneath your business umbrella. And that sounds really intimidating or daunting. So I'm glad that you've simplified that and, you know, create that one 
or maybe two courses that are your signature courses that meet the desire of your audience. And I think that's key is you really need to meet the desire of your audience. And I want to circle back to, we touched on one of the mistakes and it was a marketing mistake. So what kind of mistakes are you seeing from course creators, either in marketing or sales? I'll share two. One of them will be the marketing mistake that we've kind of been hinting at. And then I'll share one that's more on the course creation side. So for marketing, I would say this is one of the biggest mistakes I see. And the mistake is throwing everything out there when it comes to all of the big marketing strategies when you launch a new course. I see new course creators creating big webinars, running paid ads, doing all these promotions. And the mistake is not that those are bad strategies. People might notice I use those at Windwire currently. The mistake is using them for a new course. Mm -hmm. Because when you put an offer out for the first time, you don't yet have proof that it will sell. You might have some good indicators, especially if you already offer it as a one-on-one service. You probably have a lot of validation that it would sell. But when you have a new course, you're packaging it in a new way. You've got a price point you've never tried before, an offer you've never tried before. So what your goal is the first time you sell is to do the the MVP approach, the minimum viable product approach to marketing, where you put the offer out there and see if people are interested just on the merit of the offer alone. Because if you put a new offer out there and you make a big webinar and you run all these ads and then you don't sell, how are you going to know if it was the marketing that didn't work Um, or the offer that didn't work? And as we learned earlier, 80% of somebody's decision to buy is just if they're the right person who wants that offer. So I recommend paring all of that down in the future, I have an overall philosophy on course creation. I call it the course lifecycle method because what I've seen work is that successful creators use different teaching and marketing strategies at each stage of growth. And that's the way that they can really maximize sales. So for your first round, I usually call it a founder's round. The term beta round is familiar. Again, the goal is just get that first group of students, use kind of the minimum marketing efforts just to say, hey, I'm doing this new program. I would love it if you joined. And then after you have proof, in the future, consider a webinar, but make sure you've got that validated offer first. So that's certainly, I would say the biggest mistake I see, especially on the marketing side. That's really good. That's, I'm glad that you said that because I don't think I would have thought of that because you hear about, you know, from other coaches, you have to do this huge launch and I'm not going to lie. Launches just immediately drain my energy just to think about it. I'm not a huge fan of big launches. So I like that you just kind of put your offer out there to already your warm audience. Is that who you're talking about? Like your social media presence, your email list, or whoever is listening to your podcast or watching your YouTube videos, like give it to them first. And I know you mentioned like beta or founder offers. Do you offer a slight discount to get them in or do you keep it at that full price? The way that I talk about pricing is not so much that it's a discount, it's just your best ever price. And the reason why it comes down to one of the pricing levers I talk about in my programs. So course pricing is a huge topic. We could talk about that for an hour, but that's going to be, we're going to give the high level a <laughs> chat about it now. But for pricing, when you offer something new, there isn't yet proof that the course will work. And one of the reasons why people buy is because of certainty. And so if you imagine a book versus a course versus a service, When people buy a book, that's a low price point. A course is kind of between a book and what would be like a one-on-one offer. 
And one of the reasons why the same outcome is priced at three different points for those offers is because of the involvement with an expert. So when you read a book, you're by yourself, you're on your couch, there's not a good chance you're going to take action from the book. You might implement it a little bit, mm -hmm. but a course is a little bit more guided. There are videos, there are workbooks, there could be a little interaction even with the instructor. So somebody's certainty that they're going to reach the outcome is going to be higher with a course because it's a much more guided experience. But then with a service, like let's say you hire somebody to design and build your whole website. That is the most expensive option, not only because you're paying for somebody's time, but because your certainty that it's going to get done is way higher because work has been removed from your plate. An expert is doing it. It basically checks every box. And so when you offer a brand new course, it's true that the certainty of the buyer is a little bit lower, but you have expertise as the person leading it. So it's not as though you have no ground to stand on to charge people. What I don't recommend at all is doing a free course for the first round because part of that first sell is the crucial act of validating that people will pay. Right. So if you give the course away for free, you're actually not hitting the mark of validating demand for the offer. But I do agree that you want to offer it at your best ever rate. And most likely, you're probably going to do some things that don't scale. You're probably going to be a little more involved with those founders. And so once you factor those things in, it's not necessarily true that the price has to be lower, although it certainly might be. It's just a slightly different offer than the automated, fully passive version of how this program might evolve in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Mm -hmm. So we touched on the mistake as far as like marketing the course. Mm -hmm. Let's get into selling it. Well, the other mistake <laughs> I was going to talk about is less about selling and more about creating. Okay. So the mistake that I see happen is that people build the entire course before they sell it and they perceive that to be the least risky approach. But the strategy that I've seen work best, again, for my own business, for students, for the businesses I was able to research when I talked to people through Teachable, they are selling their course and delivering content to the founders during the first round. So imagine a world where you put your offer out, you have a very clear plan of what's gonna happen each week. You have the option if you wanna teach live over Zoom or if you wanna release like a batch of pre-recorded videos, which is what most people imagine in a course. But this approach is far less risky than developing the whole course first, and it helps you sell sooner. So here's the risk of de developing the whole course first. If you have not yet sold the offer, you don't yet have proof it'll sell. Mm -hmm. So if you spend a couple months, six months perhaps, developing all of the videos for the course, and then you put your offer out, there is a chance it won't sell. And then potentially you've lost a lot of time. But when I worked with students whose offers didn't sell the first time, it wasn't usually that the whole idea was off. It was usually just positioning. And so those are small tweaks you can make. You can take the feedback from your audience. You can tweak the offer a little bit. And then put something out there that is probably 90% the same. The curriculum even would have been like 90% the same. But there's maybe like that crucial last piece that you know now that you need to incorporate into the curriculum to really offer something that people want. So the risk I think that people see is that they're worried, well, if I sell it and the course doesn't exist yet, why would people buy it? But think about university classes. Those don't have like an on-demand vault of videos. People purchase and then they show up and they expect to get class curriculum delivered on a weekly basis and to do work. And so when you're launching this kind of first version of a course, you can just be transparent and you can just say, I'm going to release a new batch of videos every week. And the other benefit to doing it this way is you get to incorporate feedback. 
So as you see where students are getting stuck or you see the, the kinds of questions that they're asking, now you can immediately work those into the curriculum so that you're creating a, a full course that actually works. And then when you sell it for the second time, now either you've built the whole course, you can sell it, or for those people who choose to teach it live the first time via Zoom, now you've collected data, you've gotten feedback from buyers, and maybe the second group gets that batch of videos every week. But it helps you create better curriculum that is more effective, and it helps you sell faster because you don't have to wait to sell until you've built the whole thing. I love that. You explained that so well. Thank you for saying that. So did we cover the two big mistakes that you wanted to talk about? I think we yes, did. Yes, we did. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. But now that I think the audience probably has like, cool, they got some ideas generating in their head. They know their warm market. They might even start asking some questions. That's kind of my favorite thing to do is to actually ask questions through my email marketing and my Instagram stories. Be like, hey, I have this idea. Like, would you be interested in this, you know, as a follower of mine? And so I think that's a great idea is to start kind of polling your audience just to see if your idea is pretty cool. But let's get into the tech. What tools do we need to sell an online course that isn't too overwhelming? I can break this down big picture. We'll okay. offer some specific resources at the end of the lesson if people want to see all the exact platforms. But the best distinction I can make right up front is the difference between tools that create curriculum versus the tool that would build your classroom. So for any teacher, whether you're teaching online or you're teaching in a regular classroom, we all have to create curriculum. That's anything that shares your knowledge and allows your students to do work. So in our case, as an online course creator, that typically means slides. You can use your favorite tool that you already probably are familiar with to create slides. I personally like Google Slides. That's just one option. You also might need to create things like handouts, whether you like to create PDFs or I prefer to use Google Docs. I find them a bit more user-friendly. But that is the world of curriculum. And then because we're not showing up in person, we also need to create videos somehow. So the tool that you would use to record, that is also part of curriculum. And I bring that up because on the other side of the equation, we have course platforms. Mm -hmm. That's the tools like Teachable. That's what people think of when they're looking for a tool to create and sell online courses. And there are a ton of great options out there, but none of the classroom tools can create curriculum. So none of the tools like Teachable create slides. They don't create PDFs. They don't have a record button. They don't edit videos. Instead, think of it more like the building stage. You've already got your files. You've got your video files. You've got, let's say, your PDF files. And you would use a tool like Teachable to drag and drop those in, maybe add a little bit of text. You would create a series of lessons in order. You would give students a login to access the course. But this is the classroom itself. It's the place where students go to learn rather than a tool that will create the curriculum. So just defining the difference between the two, I think, is huge. And then, of course, the course platforms, they do a little bit more. They also give you a checkout page to collect payments and to enroll students into the course. They do a little bit more. And just to offer one more helpful distinction between the types of platforms, I typically talk about two camps. You've got all-in-one platforms, and then you've got what I call specialists. So an all-in-one platform is bigger than course creation and can usually handle the big three. Create a website, do email marketing, and let you create and sell courses or digital products. And so depending on your preferences as a business owner, you may want an all-in-one platform 
because you keep everything in one place. It might be easier for you to have a team member presently or in the future, just kind of manage that one tool and be familiar with it. I would say on the other hand, the downside is perhaps that you can't quite customize it fully in all the ways. It's more of a generalist rather than a specialist. But I think an all-in-one platform is a great pick for a lot of business owners. Are you talking like Kajabi? Kajabi, Podia, and a budget tool called System. Those are usually the three that people will find in the course platform comparison that they can download for free from this episode. So those are the three people are familiar with. And then we also have specialists. This is where tools like Teachable, Thinkific, even Thrivecartlearn come in. This specialist tool really just focuses on helping you create and sell courses. It can do a little bit more than that, but it's unlikely that you're going to create a full website and very improbable that it's also going to handle email marketing. And so if you go with a specialist, I think the benefit of doing that is that many of us already have a website in something like Squarespace or WordPress or show it. And so if you already have a WordPress, you don't really need a tool that can also build a website. And if you already have an email marketing platform, then maybe you don't need a tool that can do that either. And by hiring these different specialists to create a stack, now you're doing exactly what you need for each of those areas of your business. It's not necessarily more or less expensive to go all in one versus tech stack. But I will say, I just think that they're good fits for different business owners. It's not that one is the definite right choice for everybody. So hopefully that distinction between tools to create curriculum, that's separate, that's a different bucket. And then when you're choosing your course platform, first decide if you want all-in-one or a specialist. And from there, you'll be able to decide what could suit your business. And I have felt too, when you use platforms like Teachable or Member Vault, it is very easy to integrate your email marketing platform for them to basically speak to each other. (laughs) If I'm not too techie on that, but yeah, they kind of speak to each other. So if someone purchases your course through, let's say Teachable, it's integrated, it'll automatically like add that person to your email list. And then if you have them in an automation, like a little more behind the scenes setup there, but it's pretty easy to integrate it. And so I've had no issues with it. So I think exactly. my next and they question, either have, I was just going to say, they'll either give you the option to do what's called a native integration, meaning that a tool like Teachable and let's say a tool like ConvertKit, they have a relationship. So you don't need any external tools. You can just connect your accounts and seamlessly enroll students who purchase the Teachable course into your ConvertKit email list. That's just one example. But for tools that don't have that native integration, I'm sure people have heard of Zapier, but that's mm-hmm. why that, that business came to be as that middle person between tool A, like Teachable, and tool B, like ConvertKit, where you can say, well, if somebody makes a purchase, then I want to add them to my email list. So both maybe feel a little bit daunting. They can be simplified, but I just want people to know, I think that I have faith that they can do those kinds of integrations. And once you set it up once, it's just set up, kind of set and forget it. But it is definitely a technical endeavor, I think, to become a course creator, but I don't think it's as scary as people have built it up in their minds to be. I really think that if you have even just a basic understanding of online tech or a willingness to learn that you can be a good course creator. And I think too, these platforms have just gotten better over the years with almost like a drag and drop feature where it's like, mm-hmm. just simply upload your video or your PDF and give it a title and it's all just kind of laid out. And so I think that really helps that the platforms have done this. So my last question to you is what is the, what's different about course building in 2023 versus the past? 
when I worked for Ramit, and this was back in, I think like 2016, 2017, the course experience was isolated. And that was what was normal. You would enroll in a course, you would see a series of videos and workbooks, and you would work through that curriculum on your own. I would say infrequently, some courses maybe had a community element. And yes, you could upgrade and have access to the instructor, but they were pretty self-guided. Today, because more people are comfortable being online and we live in a much more digital world than we used to, there's more of a blurred line between what was traditionally thought of as a course versus what was maybe thought of as a community or a membership. And I think today more than ever, buyers are not just looking for knowledge. They're looking for accountability. They're looking for support. And in some cases, they are looking for peers in a community. And that doesn't mean that every course creator needs all of those things. And it certainly varies based on price point. But I think the best way to help somebody get results is to give them a clear blueprint and self-guided path for them to follow. But then to figure out, well, what if they get stuck? How can they get support from you, the instructor, or from your business? Because even if you create a perfect course, you've anticipated every question, you've done things just so, every resource is flawless. The reality is that people want support. They feel insecure about the work that they're doing. They just want help. They don't want to be in it alone. And often people are paying you, again, not just for video knowledge, but for the accountability of being with an expert who can help them. So I think today, course creators who succeed are the ones who are figuring out how they can offer support in different ways, whether it's community, a group coaching call, the opportunity to add one-on-one calls even, again, at, at the right price point for the right business owner. You don't need all of those all the time, but I think it's a lot more of a two-way street than it used to be. And I also think course creators are expanding beyond just video, just PDFs. For example, I think you can have more interactive ways of interacting with people. Things like workbooks have always been around, but what if you collected homework from students and offered a review? What if you had different like printables? What if you're a language teacher and you offered like flashcards? within your course. There's tech that can help you do that now. So I think that there are just more ways that you can think about how do I help my prospect, my buyer reach their goal the fastest. And it doesn't always mean adding more videos. Sometimes it means thinking about those additional creative ways that you can help them practice more or do the work in a more efficient ways. Templates, worksheets, I mean, the list goes on. So it's more expansive, I think. And the first thing that comes to my mind that I've seen a lot in the past lately from course creators. And the easiest to start with is they offer a free Facebook group and you can just chat with the other members. And what I like about that is it shows that whoever the course creator is, is is human and they actually care about your success. So I think showing up in that Facebook group as the course creator, and it doesn't need to be every day. It could be like once a week with a quick check-in, how how is your course going? Do you have any questions? Or, you know, show us what you're working on. Like, what's your favorite part of the course so far? It just shows that you care about the success of your students. So a free Facebook group is probably the easiest way to get started with that, to expand your course. I will say, like, as a tip for people who want to include community, people do as they're led. By that, I mean, if you just have a free Facebook group, and you just tell people it's there, it's unlikely to get used. So instead, if you want engagement in the community, you have to be the first mover. You have to be the one who initiates reason to go there. 
whether it's encouraging people to post at certain checkpoints or initiating discussion, it's not going to happen passively. But then over time, if you're the person who creates an experience where people feel like there's a purpose and a reason for them to be in the community, then a flywheel effect will pick up and they will start to engage with each other. But I enroll in a lot of courses. Like I love to learn. I take a lot of courses. And I've just seen time and time again that there are a lot of courses with communities, but very few of them actually add a benefit to their student. So I don't want people to feel pressured like, oh, I have to create a community or it should be a default. But I do agree with you. It can be a great way to help peers connect with each other and either offer feedback to each other or participate in discussions or to communicate with you and to ask you, the instructor, for feedback. But just as long as there's a clear purpose, that's how it's going to be successful rather than just kind of having like a place where people can say hi to each other, which is where I've seen it kind of look like tumbleweeds on the internet. Yeah. It just kind of fizzles, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it needs to be intentional from the course creator. You need to have intent for creating that Facebook group if that's the route that you go. Yeah, I love that. Cool. Well, this has been a really great conversation and I'm excited for the listeners to follow you and get to know you better and check out your courses. So where can they find your work? So you can find my business anywhere at Wit and Wire. I'm mostly on YouTube. And if you are curious about the platforms we talked about, or even just all the equipment I recommend for course creators, that's a big question I get a lot. It's too much to kind of relay the whole list <laughs> in an interview. So I right. have a free guide at witandwire.com slash course toolkit. It has a side-by-side comparison of all the course platforms as well as some other equipment. So you can check that out or find me anywhere at Wit and Wire online. Awesome, Melissa. Well, this was a great conversation and I will make sure that everything is in the show notes. And thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Can you do me a favor? The best way to support me and grow the podcast is by leaving a written review on Apple iTunes. I promise you, I read every review and take them to heart. And don't forget, head to bossladyandsweatpants.com to snack some freebies or hang out with me on Instagram at Allison Scholes. I'll see you soon.